1: Our first scripture reading is from the book of Numbers, chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. Listen now for the word of God. Thereafter, the Levites went in to do their service in the tent of meeting in attendance on Aaron and his sons. As the Lord had commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so they did with them. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This applies to the Levites. From 25 years old and upward, they shall begin to do duty in the service of the tent of meeting. And from the age of 50 years, they shall retire from the duty of service and serve no more. They may assist their brothers in the tent of meeting in carrying out their duties, but they shall perform no service. Thus you shall do with the Levites in assigning their duties.
2: Our second scripture reading you can find on page 112 of your Pew Bible if you want to follow. It's in the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, verses 23 and 24. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. With me, you are but aliens and tenants. Throughout the land that you hold, you shall provide for the redemption of the land. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. When I was in seminary, I, I lived in the same campus dorm for the majority of my three years with my own room and By the end of my second year, I no longer believed the rumors that went around about what would happen if you made big changes to the room you you were living in, most notably that they would withhold your degree from you or that they would charge you some exorbitant fee. And so I painted the walls. I painted them a pleasant, in my mind, a light blue color, And I left it like that when I graduated, and they gave me my degree. And to my knowledge, they never fined me. I didn't pay it. In Seattle then, I moved to Seattle right after. I lived in a house owned by a family that was a member of the church where I served. The property was adjacent to theirs, and it had kind of a fixer-upper house on the property. And you know, that fixer-upper house had a bit of a rodent problem. And by problem, I mean uh, I lived with mice. Um, you know, when the cold, wet season would roll in, which in Seattle is about nine months out of the year, I would get frequent visitors. Mouse droppings would show up in the kitchen and on the furniture where I also sat, and on great days on my bed. Now, I would let the family know what was going on, but. Um, you, know, let's just say that when I moved out, I imagined the mice in the house were really glad somebody finally did something about the human problem. In California, then, uh, when I lived there, I, I lived in a two-bedroom apartment, and that, that was managed by a company. And when they said, "Don't paint the walls," they meant, "Don't paint the walls." About once a year or so, they would find some reason for someone to come in and expect any of the apartments in the building to keep an eye on things. And as a result, you better believe, I did not make any permanent changes unless I was prepared to deal with real and actual consequences. You see, how you operate when you're renting a home, it's largely dependent on how long you live there and on whether you care about who's going to live there after you and maybe most of all depends on who you perceive the owner to be and how you understand the owner to be that's to say how involved is the owner how much does the owner care about what you're doing in and to your temporary home and what are the consequences, natural or otherwise, for what you're doing to it? Now, I should note I've, I've lived in several places that I've owned, too. Uh, the first house that I, that I ever owned, that was a, a cozy two-bedroom, and what I remember most about living there is I didn't know how to take care of it. I didn't know how to take care of the yard. I didn't know the the preventative care that you can do to sort of keep things from breaking and and to run smoothly. And when things then did break, I I didn't know how to fix them. Uh, And really, even when they broke, I didn't have a context of of what was and what wasn't critical to pay attention to. You see, I, I didn't grow up in a family that really taught me how to take care of a house. And I don't want to give you the wrong impression. My parents took great care of the house that that we grew up in, but they just didn't do much in the way to prepare me for the sake of my future home. They provided an example for a standard of care. That's not nothing. But really, I owe my current home care knowledge more to YouTube uh, than to anyone or anything else. The point, uh, home care wasn't natural for me. Uh, I learned it late, and I learned it out of necessity. In Leviticus, God reminds the people of Israel to whom the land belongs, and it's, it's not to them. If you read the, the context of the verses, you'll see that God has just outlined what's called the sabbatical year. It's a once-in-every-seven-years event where the people are to let the land rest. And that's immediately followed by by a description of the year of Jubilee, a once in every 50 years, right? So the seven-year cycle repeats seven times, and then right after that, the 50th year, it's where economic justice is returned to the land. For after years of wear and tear, they recognize the earth needs rest. The earth needs Sabbath. God cares for humans. That much we we don't have to be convinced at, but these verses remind us that God also cares for the land itself, the land that we humans live on, and that we should be careful not to mistake our tenancy on this land for ownership of the land, that we should not mistake the land's resiliency for the land's invincibility we are all just aliens and tenants on a land that is itself finite. Aliens and tenants on a land that itself has limits. And limits that controlled and owned not by some distant or uninterested landlord, but owned by God who is intimately close. God who is supremely interested in the redemption of this durable yet fragile world. Remember, God seems to say, remember you and the land are bound together. The fate of this earth is also your fate. Theologian George Knight, he, he writes that in the biblical view, one cannot separate humanity from the world in which it exists. You cannot separate humanity from the environment. You cannot you cannot do so because humanity is part of the soil, he says, and our bodies will return to it when we die. And at the time that this, these words in Leviticus were, were written, at the time those people, humankind, certainly understood that they could impact the area and the region in which they lived, but they could not have imagined the global impact of the present day. They could not have imagined, as author Elizabeth Colbert puts it, that that right now we are deciding, and without quite meaning to, which evolutionary pathways will remain open and which will remain forever closed. No other creature has ever managed this, and it will, unfortunately, she says, be our most enduring legacy in this place. In her book, The Sixth Extinction, Colbert details that we are bearing witness to one of the rarest events in life's history, the event of mass extinction. By the best calculation, she notes, one amphibious species should go extinct every thousand years or so, but pretty much every person studying amphibians today has witnessed several amphibian extinctions in their career. What's more concerning is that other species are approaching amphibian extinction levels. She outlines one-third of all reef-building corals, a third of all freshwater mollusks, a third of sharks and rays, a quarter of all mammals, a fifth of all reptiles, a sixth of all birds, all of them heading for oblivion. And she concedes that there are a lot of theories about why this is happening. Climate change is one of them. But it all boils down to this, she says. No matter how you frame it, the cause is us. When did we begin to see Earth, to which we are bound, as infinite? When did we begin to see it as something to which we are fully entitled and entitled to without regard to the consequences of what we do to it? To put that in the context of of these Leviticus readings, we are either acting like tenants who have forgotten altogether who the owner is, or we are acting as though we are the owners of this land, but owners who have not paid enough attention about how to care for it. Helen Keller once said, people do not like to think. For if one thinks, one must reach conclusions, and conclusions are not always pleasant. When we stop and think about what is happening with the environment, we reach less than pleasant conclusions. Now, like me, if you have heard a sermon before about earth care, the central statement often sort of whittles down to we are stewards of this earth and as stewards of this earth we are to care for this earth and i am on board with that statement but i am also increasingly dissatisfied with it i'm dissatisfied not because that statement isn't true but i think that statement is not enough To agree we are stewards is all fine and well, but I am worried that I do not have the knowledge and in some ways do not have the power to do what I need to do in order to steward the earth well. Those two issues, right? Knowledge and power. For you see, it's, it's not enough to just agree that we would care for this finite world any more than it is enough to agree that I should eat healthy food, but then I have no knowledge about how to do so, and thus I fail in the crucial aspect of actually acting in a way that bears out the benefits of my conviction. Agreeing with a statement and failing to behave in a way that proves it makes no change and makes no difference. And what I'm saying is that I am guilty of that. That I often live as though resources are largely infinite. I live as though the world has no owner other than humanity or that the world has no higher owner who actually cares about how we maintain it. I often live forgetting that I am an alien and a tenant here and a tenant who does not know how to properly care for where I live. The reading from Numbers that Reverend Melanie read, in brief, it outlines some prescribed work for the Levites, and in particular, the expectation that they would serve in the temple starting at the age of 25 and retiring at the age of 50, at which point they transitioned into a world where they could advise and they could teach But to step back from doing and so for 25 years they would have learned from both both practical experience and from those that were older than them they were tenants in the temple from the get-go a 25-year tenancy caretakers before they would then be tasked with passing their knowledge on and i have to wonder at some point in that history In someone's 25-year tenancy, I wonder if there was anything that happened, any revelatory knowledge that was then critical for how they did what they did from that day forward. I just wonder if they discovered that they were doing something wrong or decided that they needed to do something different, something that meant they would need to change a lot of their customs and their habits, change what they were teaching, change what they were doing. And in the face of that, how critical, how absolutely critical it would be to make sure that others knew the importance of it. It was so critical that they would make sure that they would keep heading in the new direction, that they would be uncertain and worried that old habits would creep back in, would take them back to old destinations rather than new ones. And that sudden, uncertain future, I, I hope, I hope it would have nagged at them in ways that would have resulted in changes and lasting changes to what they were doing, what they were teaching. There is a degree to which it should bother us that those coming after would not know how to properly care for something when it was in our power to do something now, to teach something now, that we should let that bother us. Because to let it bother us is what will spur some personal change in us to, to grow in our knowledge in some way, shape, or form. But the thing is that that's not where it, it can end. That's where it will not end if we want this to continue because we have to also grapple with our limited individual power when it comes to that change. We live in a world, as a matter of fact, of present day, where governments and corporate policies must align themselves with earth care in ways that will require collective commitment and some amount of risk and the ability to imagine a different future, to imagine a different economy, to imagine a different relationship with the land, for it is clear that the status quo cannot continue. And to be convinced of that means that we must let that conviction change our own personal lives, yes, but it must also change our insistence toward government and big business. For if larger entities are going to make changes, it must be us that encourages that imagination with our votes and with our resources. Another author, author Jared Diamond, in a fascinating book called, called Collapse, he writes that in the long run, it is the public, either directly or through its politicians, that has the power to make destructive policies unprofitable and illegal, and to make sustainable environmental policies the rule of the land. In fact, as an example, In the early 2000s, after the the U.S. public became concerned about the spread of mad cow disease, the FDA, a government institution, in response instituted regulations to curb practices associated with the risk of the spread. How did industry respond? They promptly insisted that the rules were too expensive to obey and did nothing for five years. It was then when consumer purchases of hamburgers declined, and it pains me, it pains me to say this, but the McDonald's Corporation stepped in. McDonald's stepped in and made the same demands that were already in place and said, we will not buy from you unless those are in place, and then the industry complied within weeks after five years of doing nothing. The public spurred government to action to develop policies, and the public moved big business when those policies were not taking hold. We have to realize that it is in our power, but not only in our power for change to happen, but it begins with a commitment to do more, and that's what I want to commit to today. And to that end, I want Village to help. Uh, Pastor Halley. Pastor, uh, for young adults, she's preaching tonight at the gathering. We were talking as, as, we, as this day was approaching, and so what we've decided to do is we're talking now with some local organizations to come to Village and to teach any who are interested about something more that you can do, something that you are not already doing in your life to care for this earth. And so we want to learn, we're inviting them to come and teach us more about composting to come and teach us more about water conservation, to learn more about what local and larger governments are doing and how we can influence what they are doing to help this community look at the world through the eyes of aliens and tenants who take seriously our care for sustainability of the land, not to mention the air and the water. And my, my hope in doing so is that I, and hopefully you as well, that we would put into action more than just a sentiment that we should care for the earth, but put a doing to it. That we would take some steps that we have not yet taken, that we would learn some things that we do not already know. And that in that, maybe, maybe, we would change the products that we buy. Or that we might change where and, and how often we travel Or maybe it'll change what car you get next, or the kind of energy that powers your home, or how much we just consume in general. That we would change how we perceive the responsibilities and our insistence upon those responsibilities of businesses and governments that shape our lives. Colbert, she writes, life is extremely resilient. But it is not infinitely so. And that warning, that warning should bother us. For it is past time to do more personally, and it is past time to demand more from large institutions. Because we are tied to this land. We are aliens and tenants here. And with God's grace, we will learn how to take better care of it. We will insist that those in power will do the same. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at VillagePRES.org. And we invite you to join us again next week. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at VillagePRES.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.